And let's continue in worship by going to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father, we are grateful for the good news of Jesus Christ. And we are grateful that you have seen fit to have that good news not be limited to one place or one people group, but to go out and out around the whole world. Lord, we give you thanks for how your word has spread over the centuries since Jesus came. We give you thanks for how your spirit continues to work in us and in all kinds of places all around the world. Lord, your work goes far, far beyond what we could ever ask or imagine And we are so grateful that your work comes even to us. Lord, today as we read from the Bible, as we hear your word, we ask that you, through your spirit, apply this word this day to us. Lord, help each one of us to hear what you would have us hear today. We ask that you work in each of our hearts to draw us closer to you, to to help us to live lives how you have designed us to live and to help us to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So this morning we're continuing a series on the first few chapters of the book of Joshua. If you weren't here last week or you were here but not paying attention, it happens, uh, you are welcome to check out the video on our Faith YouTube channel. You can get to that through our website and get caught up. But the basic idea of last week was that the Lord comes and he makes promises to his people, and then his people respond by promising to follow him. And we see that dynamic in our worship week after week, that the Lord comes and speaks to us, and we respond to his grace to us. Today we hear the Lord speaking to us from Joshua chapter 2. So hear now the word of the Lord. You can uh, grab a Bible from the pew if you like, otherwise it will be up on the screen. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. 
Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we'll treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. The men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, "'The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands.' All the people are melting in fear because of us. This is the word of the Lord. So as I mentioned briefly earlier in this service, we, uh, several of us from Faith went to the Amplify Outreach Conference at Wheaton College earlier this week. And one of the speakers there, his name is John Dixon, and he is from Australia. So he came up and he started out with, you know, the speaker before me, she spoke the Queen's English And you all, you Americans, you speak freedom fighter. But us from Australia, we speak convict. All right, John. But then he told a story, and he he told a story of how for many years in Australia, he's been an academic, he uh, led an apologetic center, and there was one particular time that he was invited to take part in a debate. And there were going to be three atheists and three Christians, and the topic of the debate was going to be, is the world better off with or without Christianity? Is Christianity a net positive or minus in our world today? So they had a pretty big debate. They had the six academics. They had about a thousand people there. And on the way in, they voted what people thought. And and on the way in, 600 people voted that they thought the world would be better off without Christianity. And 400 voted, well, I think the world actually is a better place with Christianity in it. And then they had their debate. And I'm going to leave the conclusion of that debate for the conclusion of this message. But then John Dixon went on at our conference this week to talk about how, at this point, the U.S. has about the upper 60s in terms of percentage of people who would, in some sense, identify as Christian. And if you think through the English-speaking world, Canada has maybe lower 60s percent who would identify as Christian. And then you go to England, and it's, oh, it's maybe upper 50s. You go to Australia, it's maybe just around 50% of the population who would say, yeah, call me a Christian. And then you hop over to New Zealand, and it's in the mid-40s. And John's thought is that Australia and New Zealand are probably 10 to 15 years ahead of us in America. So our likely future is a nation where a minority of the people would self-identify as Christian. And this is, this is something we have to wrestle with. How do we enter into conversations? How do we function as we're, we're stepping into a new land that we know a lot about, but that is becoming more and more unfamiliar? How do we encounter this new reality? How do we encounter the people around us given, given these realities? 
Well, we're going to talk through Joshua chapter 2 with those kinds of questions in mind this morning. And and I thought about having some of the points be about the spies and Rahab, but instead I'm going to use the language of insider and outsider, because I think a lot of this has relevance for us today, that there are, there are some of us who are more insiders. We know we belong to Jesus, we belong to the church, we, we feel like we have that connection. And there are others here, I suspect, who maybe feel more like outsiders, feel kind of not sure about Jesus, not quite sure about the church, and, and maybe even opposed to the way of Jesus. So we're going to talk about insiders and outsiders today, and we're going, to, we're going to have a number of points this morning, but I promise you they will all be brief. But our first point is that in this text, there is this surprising reversal where the outsider saves the insiders. That's the first move, the first seven verses or so of Joshua chapter 2. And, and by the way, Joshua 2 is full of a lot of awkwardness and, and surprises. The text wants us to be kind of going, what? Huh? There's a lot of questions we aren't going to be answering today that you could ask in this first part, like why even send spies? What are the spies doing going to Rahab's house? I mean, Rahab's a prostitute. What's going on there? And why is Rachel, or why is Rahab, why is she allowed to deceive the people of Jericho? And the text doesn't comment on that. Is is deception okay? So there's a whole batch of questions there. We're just going to put to the side this morning, but there are some resources in the bulletin if you want to dig deeper into some things in the book of Joshua, you can pick up one of those books and and work on some of those questions. But today we're going to stick with the main flow of the text, and the main flow of the text here at the beginning is, hey, surprise, Rahab the outsider saves these Israelite spies. And these Israelite spies are not heroes, They they are bums. They are bumbling nincompoops. They are incompetent. These are not the guys you would want to hire to do espionage because they only get into the first city in the land and already people have figured out, hey, those guys are spies. So the people of Jericho come after these spies and, and Rahab, Rahab at great personal risks, risk saves them. This is surprising and unexpected. And then we get to the real heart of this passage, and then we see how the outsider, how Rahab professes her faith in the Lord. And she begins in verses 8 to 11 by speaking about harem, which is, which is a word for destruction, for complete and powerful wiping out of something. And again, the text places these words on the lips of an outsider, and, and what, she says is, what she says is that the people of the land recognize that the Lord is the true God. They have heard about how God brought the Israelites through the Red Sea decades before this. They have, they have heard about as the Israelites have moved toward the promised land, how they have begun to wipe out some of the minor kings east of the Jordan. And she recognizes that the Lord God is truly sovereign of the world and that everyone who stands up to him is doomed, is subject to harem to the great destructive power of the Lord. And all of this centers at the end of verse 10 when when she speaks about being completely destroyed. The people have reason to fear. God's judgment is coming. And all of this comes not from Joshua, the leader of God's people, not from any of the priests, not from any of God's chosen people, but from this outsider. And truly an outsider of outsiders, a a woman, a Canaanite, a prostitute, a resident of the city of Jericho, so many strikes against her, but she sees the truth. 
She sees that she and all those around her deserve destruction. And then Rahab goes on and, and she talks about hased. Hased, which is, is a big and powerful word, but here it's used to speak really of the Lord's kindness. And Rahab, after recognizing we are all due destruction, asks for kindness for her and for her family. And again, this word is translated kindness here in Joshua 2, but, but it is this massive concept. It's kindness, it's, it's grace, it's overflowing compassion, it's, it's the grace of God himself. And Rahab asked the spies to swear by the Lord that they will show her and her whole family kindness because she has shown them kindness. And she asked the spies to swear in the name of the Lord God that they and their people will be kind to her and to her family. Now Joshua 1, you might, you might expect how it develops. The Lord comes, he raises up a leader for his people, that leader commits to follow the Lord, that leader speaks to God's people, God's people commit to following the Lord. But now we get to Joshua 2 and everything is upside down. Here we see this, this outsider, this person who you would never expect to follow the Lord being the person who is being strong and courageous to say, I want to follow God. I know that the Lord is the true God. And along with professing her faith in Him, she asks for kindness from the Israelites as representatives of the Lord. And this really right here is the center of Joshua chapter 2. Will me and mine, can me and mine, can we receive kindness from the Lord? Can we please, please receive the grace of God? And that is a key question for all of us here today, whether you would identify as an insider or an outsider. Can we receive the grace and kindness of the Lord? Does the Lord truly care even for us? Can we be saved? And this text answers the question with, with the spies saying, our lives for your lives, our lives for your lives. It plays this in kind of a minor key here in Joshua 2, but, but Rahab asks if she can receive kindness from the Lord and his people, and the spies say, sure, our lives for your lives. You've helped us, we'll help you. But then the spies add all kinds of conditions. As long as you keep quiet, we'll be kind. As long as you tie the scarlet cord in your window, we'll be kind. As long as everyone is inside your house, we'll be kind. And again, as long as you don't tell on us and rat us out, sure, we'll be kind. God's people in this instance are, are expressing kindness, but they're doing it with all kinds of conditions. There's this qualification and that qualification, and if you do this, and if you do that, and what about this, and what about that, and, and Rahab agrees to all of that. And then she sends them on their way. She even tells them where to go and hide so they'll be safe. And the spies are ultimately able to go back to Joshua and bring back what is basically Rahab's profession of faith. Yes, the land is afraid of us. Yes, we can conquer the land. The Lord has been there and prepared the way for us. In the context of Joshua, this is a great revelation, but it's incomplete. But what it intends to do is to is to point us toward the greater Joshua, toward Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus doesn't come and say, if, 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 my life for your life. 
Jesus comes and in a way that the spies here couldn't says, my life for your lives. Joshua 2 gives us a glimpse of the hesed, of the grace, the kindness, the sacrificial love, the overwhelming compassion of the Lord. But then later in the Bible, Jesus comes and when we had nothing to give him, he lays down his own life for us. In Joshua 2, this is, in some respects, a transaction. And in most of our lives, and for most of the people around us, when we think about salvation, when we think about belonging to Jesus, or even when we think about any religion, if we just think of religions in general, we often are transactional. We think, if I do this and this and this and this, then I'll get away with that and that and that and that. Or if I do that and that and that and that, then I'll get this and this and this and this. And the Bible blows that right out of the water. And it tells us that God is a kind and gracious God. And when we deserved absolutely nothing from Him, He gives us everything. That is the center of the story here. And, and I think it's why Joshua 2 is in the Bible, to, to help God's people become a little more familiar with this idea that the Lord is kind. And that He is kind not just to insiders, but to outsiders and to everybody. Let's, let's bring that home to us today and, and remember that God, that the Lord is hesed to us. The Lord is not just gracious and kind to people way back then or, or people way out there, but He is gracious and kind to us. And perhaps you come this morning and whether, whether you follow Jesus all your life or you're relatively new to the faith, you might come with the question, can I really be saved? No, but can I really be saved? Because you see this last week, I did the thing again. The thing that I promised God and promised myself and maybe even promised other people I would never do, well, I did it again. And I knew it was wrong and I did it anyway. And maybe it's, I, came, I come this week and I've doubted, I've doubted whether Jesus really cares for me. Maybe his grace isn't really enough, or maybe I'm that person who's so bad that, that I don't deserve it. Well, if you are a bumbling servant of the Lord, and you just can't get it right, if you feel distant from the Lord Jesus and like you have put yourself outside the reach of his grace, you can look to this text with encouragement today. Even if you mess up and fall down, even if you feel like a bumbling idiot, God is kind to you. The Lord himself comes to you in your desperatest need and says, yes, I will be kind to you. Yes, I will be gracious to you. Yes, I accept you as my child. And no, there are no strings attached. There is nothing that you must do except Accept my grace. Regardless of where you are or where you've been, God is hesed, kind, compassionate, loving, gracious to you. But then we also see in this text, and this is our last point, then a couple stories to wrap up, that God is hesed through us. It is not just that God comes to us and says, I've accepted you as my child, and and that would be more than enough, right? But God also works through us to bless other people. 
He shows off his grace and compassion, his kindness and his love through our lives. And this often happens in unexpected ways. It's it's not likely the spies went into Jericho thinking, hey, we're going to go save some of Jericho's outcasts. No, they probably went thinking all of these people are under God's judgment. We're going to wipe them all out. But instead, God used them to save Rahab and her family. And it's unlikely that Rahab got up in Jericho that morning thinking, now what I'm going to do today is I'm going to save some foreign spies. That's my agenda for today. Unlikely. But God was at work in the whole thing, the whole story, in every single heart to work out his salvation to these people and through them. So how can we receive God's grace to us? Yes, but how can we also pass God's grace on through us? So let's go back to John Dixon in that Australian debate, and this time we'll talk about Australian kindness. So again, they have this debate, three Christian academics on one side, three atheist academics on the other. They take a poll before time, it's 600 to 400. 600 say Christianity should just be shut off, it should just go away, and 400 say, well, you know, I think Christianity net is a good thing. So they have the debate, and the Christians lose. Afterward, it's still a six, well, it's not quite 600 to 400, now it's 599 to 401. So they got one person to change their mind, not, not the most encouraging thing they could have hoped for. But they have this reception afterwards, and they're talking, and, and John is talking to some people, and then this young man walks up to him really excited, and he says, I'm the one! I'm the one! You got me! And the way you got me is you asked that question, would the world be better off without the most Christian person you know? And you know, I came in here thinking that this was ridiculous, that Christianity was terrible, and I knew which way I was going to vote coming in, and I knew which way I was going to vote coming out. But when you asked that question about the best Christian I know, I thought of Aunt Mavis. And Aunt Mavis is a wonderful woman. And my life in this world would be so much worse without her. So I I changed my vote. You got me. You got one. And that's the last John ever met that guy, so he had no idea where the story went from there. But at least, at least through that action, he was able to move one person a little closer to the grace of the Lord. And then a couple weeks later, one of the atheist academics got in touch with him. And she was Jewish background, but didn't believe any of it. She was still kind of culturally Jewish, but, but really didn't believe in God and had argued for that very strongly. But John and the other Christians had really spoken positively of Judaism and talked about how how God really had worked through Judaism and how the the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, was a real gift to the church. And and all of these things that we as Christians believe are, are in the Old Testament. And so this very secular atheist professor said, I'd really love to have you come and guest teach at my university. And that turned into a 10-year partnership where John was invited to teach a course on Jesus and the Gospels. Semester after semester, year after year, for a decade, he got to go into Sydney University, which is one of the most secular universities in Australia, and talk about Jesus and talk about the Gospel to a captive audience that he got to grade, so they had to pay attention. And so stepping into this context where it seemed like everything was hostile and where nothing was going to go right... And even in the context of losing a debate, the Lord was at work. And the Lord was at work through 
through these Christians who through their respect and through their care and, and through their honesty were able to move people closer to Jesus and able to, through God's grace, have a platform to speak the good news over and over again. So this morning, I want to invite you to reflect on God's kindness to you. And it may be worth your while this afternoon to reflect on how God has shown His grace and His compassion, His kindness and His love to you. It's always worthwhile to reflect on what God has given to us. But if you are, if you are set that you have received God's grace, then I want to invite you today and in the week ahead to, to ask the question, how might God be at work through you? How might God be working in the outsider in your life, the one you would never expect? And, and if you just open the door a little bit, there might be an opportunity for a gospel conversation. Or even if it's not a gospel conversation, just a spiritual conversation. What do you believe? Where are you? What do you think about life? Maybe God is prompting you that, that somehow His grace will work through you because it has been given to you. How has God been kind to you? How is God calling you to pass his kindness through you to others? The Lord our God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we ask again that you work in each and every one of us here. Lord, we ask that you open all of our eyes a bit wider to your grace given to us. And Lord, we pray too that you work in, in at least some of us present to invite us to see how you could work through us. Give us eyes to see how you were at work around us and, and how there may be prompts in others' lives that, that could open up conversations. And Lord, we ask that you give us the boldness the grace, and really the kindness we need to present the good news of Jesus Christ in, in winning, compelling, gracious, and truthful ways. Lord, we are grateful for your kindness. We pray that you help us too to be kind. Amen.